please take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans, the third chapter. We are finishing up, very, getting very close to the end here of chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 20 today. We are gearing up for getting to hope. We're, we're getting to the answer of the questions of sin that, that Paul has raised and what he has talked about. And if you were here last week, we expounded on verses 1 through 8 of Romans chapter 3, and we saw that Paul asks four rhetorical questions. Everything he was talking about in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he poses four rhetorical questions uh, to us and for us to consider. And so he begins by asking, as it, res uh, as it considers sin, he said, are some people better than others? And, and of course, the answer is no. There, there is no one who is better than anyone else. Christ died for everyone. We're all on the same playing field. There's not one human being exalted above another human being based on anything, skin color, ethnicity, location, none of that. We're all on the same playing field. Question number two he asks is, do my mistakes mess up God's will? Do I have the ability and the power to mess up God's will? The answer again is no. Number three, did God set me up for failure? Is God sitting up in heaven saying and laughing his sinister laugh and saying, all, uh, all of you are, are uh, doomed for failure and, and he set us up for failure and Paul says, absolutely not. Number four, can I take advantage of God's grace? In other words, can I live however I want to because I am already been forgiven? And again, Paul answers that question with absolutely not. No, that's not possible. And so he asks these questions as a culmination of everything he said in Romans 1 and Romans 2, talking all about sin, saying that our hope is found only in Christ and Christ alone. And so he asks these rhetorical questions in a sense to be able to recap everything that he said up to this point and, and also to make sure that everybody gets it, that there is no hope apart from Christ, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But if we still have not got it, if there's still a lingering doubt about our sinful nature, he writes to us verses 9 through 20. Please stand in honor of reading God's word. This is the word of the Lord, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. He, he's already addressed this as it's written. Now he quotes several Psalms of David. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their thread is an open grave, or their, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom mask is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to be here, to hear your word. Now, Father, may we lay aside everything, anything that may be hindering us from hearing from you today. Lord, we desperately want to hear a word from you. For it's in Christ's precious and holy name we pray these things. And all of God's people said, please be seated. 
As we read Romans chapter 3, we see that every capacity of humanity is defiled with sin. Every sense, uh, every, all five senses are, are under the ramifications of sin. And so as we look at Romans 3, 9 through 20, there are three things that I believe that he tells us about sin. Number one, he tells us that sin dis- discards our character. It discards our character. Here's what he says. He says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. He literally says, no one is good. No one, not even one. And here we have it. You and I are created in the image of God with a great and grand purpose. However, sin mars our character. It mars our business deals in the world. We don't seek God. We seek to fulfill our own desires and our own lusts. We, we, we talked a lot about this last week, that, that we often think of ourselves more highly of ourselves than we should. We, we think that we are God's chosen people. And while God's chosen people are the Jews, and yes, his plan was the church. The, the church was not an afterthought. We were not a mistake. We were not a uh-oh. He, he always planned for the church. Even though we are God's people, the Jews are God's chosen people. God doesn't love us any more than he loves everyone else. Now, there is this idea, this concept of American exceptionalism. This idea that that the United States of America is a a gray country, and and there's this exceptionalism that's seen throughout the world, and I think that's a good thing, but we are are losing that in many ways. We've lost it. The freedoms, the the, the freedoms that we once had, uh, the morality that was at one time obvious in our country is no more. And the greatest sin that I see being committed in our country today and by our country is that we have discarded our character. You see, our our word doesn't mean anything anymore. There's no commitment. There's no commitment to marriage. There's no commitment to church. I read an article the other day that said the average church member, the, the average church member thinks that going to church one Sunday a month is being an active church member. There's no commitment to marriage. There's no commitment to church. There's no commitment to work. Careers are becoming a thing of the past. People will work from here and they'll, they'll jump from job to job to job. Our commitment means nothing. Marriage means nothing in our country. We, we, have, we have a certain number of individuals who wear black robes and they, they think that they can redefine words. In fact, a group of them tried to redefine marriage here recently. And I've said this before, and I'll say this again. No man can redefine what God has clearly defined. But yet we see this happening in our country. We see our flawed character over and over and over and over. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, church. Don't be astonished that these things are happening. What's going on? What in the world is happening to our country? Where has our country gone? You see, our country has gone exactly where it should have gone because of what they were following. When you follow sin, when you follow sin, you wind up in a cesspool of sin. That's where we are. And before we begin to point fingers and say it's a Republican's fault or a Democrat's fault, actually, I believe it's our fault. Because, dear Christian, this happened on our watch. As we were sitting in our comfortable pews, singing our comfortable songs, 
being with our comfortable people. Sin has so gripped our country that we now look at our country and we say, what in the world is going on? What is happening? It's, it's, it's loco, right? It's crazy. When a, a gorilla who gets shot is bigger news and people get more upset over some monkey that dies, and we don't even care about the thousands and the millions of lives that we are killing in the womb every year. Something's messed up. We, we are more concerned. We're more concerned about a whale in captivity. And our focus is on Shamu, instead of our focus being on all these girls and boys in our own country that are being held in captivity and being trafficked, trafficked all across this country and being used as slaves. We turn a blind eye. We don't want to listen to that. We want to pretend like that doesn't exist. But, oh, we'll talk about the whales. You see, there's a messed up philosophy. We, we, we have this distorted character. We, 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 we are looking at things and we've got it all backwards. What seems up is actually down and what seems left is actually right. And it's all messed up. It's all convoluted. Don't get me wrong, though. All life is precious. Monkeys are precious. Wells are precious. All life is precious. Genesis 1 tells us that everything living, God created. And if God created it, that makes it special. And so no, there's no place for us to be cruel to animals. No, not at all. I'm not standing up here saying that we should be cruel to animals. No. All life is precious. But in Genesis chapter 1, we see that there is a life that is more precious than anything. The first living thing that God created was on day three of creation. He created plants and vegetation, fruits and vegetables and, and, and all of this stuff that he created, all this green stuff, the greenery. And when he created the vegetation, he created life. If you want to grow grass or you want to grow uh, fruits or you want to grow vegetables, they all come from a seed. And then the seed contains life. And, and so we know that, that, that vegetables and fruits and, and grass, they, they all have life. They have a body. You can physically see them, right? But, but grass lacks things that animals have. You and I are not daisies, right? We've got something that they ain't got. They've got a body. But they don't have a mind, do they? I mean, are, 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 are our lilies out in the field just waving in the grass or in the wind saying, Wow, kumbaya, I'm so happy to be a daisy. When you step on your grass, does it hurt? Does it hurt the grass? No, your grass doesn't have feelings. Flowers don't, don't think, don't reason. I know there are some people that think that, that, that trees have feelings, but let's be honest, they don't. Grass doesn't say ow when you walk on it. You see, the vegetation does not have a mind. The Greek word there is psyche, where we get our word psychology to study the mind. 
They don't have a psyche. They don't have a mind. They cannot reason. And they also don't have a spirit. Grass does not have a concept that Christ died for its sins, right? Grass hasn't sinned. The second living thing that God created began on day five and continued on day six. Day five, he created the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. On day six, he created the animals, every living thing that was created. Now, you can see your dog Lassie, can't you? You can physically see her. You can touch her. You can pet her. Lassie also has a mind. You, you can hurt your dog's feelings, right? You can teach your dog things. You're, 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 has a psyche, has a mind, has the ability to reason. You can teach a dog to sit. You can teach a dog to fetch. They, they have a mind. They, they are above flowers. And what separates the, 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 the dog from a daisy, not only the four legs and the tail, but also it has a soul, has a mind. But let's be honest. Lassie has no concept that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and died for her. Now, I know what some of you are wanting me to answer. You're wanting to know, do all dogs go to heaven? I'm not going to answer that question here today. But I do know this, that, that Lassie cannot pray and receive Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Then the final creation that God created was you and me, Adam and Eve, human beings. And when he created human beings, he said something special. He said, now this is very good. And he said, I have created man in my image. Have you ever wondered what that meant? He didn't create flowers in his image. He didn't create Lassie in his image. But he created you and me in his image. You see, we have a body. Just like plants and animals, we have a body. You can see us. You can touch us. We have a mind just like Lassie, just like dogs. We have the ability to think. We have a psyche, a psychology. We can think. but we are created in his image. He has also placed within us the spirit, the heart, the pneuma. In Hebrew, the ruach. He has given to us something that he has given to nothing else that's alive. You see, he has created us in his image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has created us body, soul, and spirit. He's created us in his image. We are triune as he is triune, body, soul, spirit. And you know that there is a country, if we, if we look at a country that is so backwards, when we elevate another being of life and we demoralize the greatest creation of life. When we say that something who, that has no spirit is more important than that which is created in the image of God, we know we've got a huge problem. All life is precious. But you see, you and I are created in the image of God. But we've forsaken God, haven't we? We've chosen sin over our Savior. And we choose sin, God will give us over to that sin. Verse 11 says that he, he gives us over and we become worthless. That's a powerful statement. You know, I, I've never said to another human being, you are worthless. I've been told I've been worthless before. Many times I've been told, you're worthless. That, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? That, that affects you. When, when, when you are told that, that you have no value, you have no worth, and God here is saying that in our sin, in our sin, we are not worth anything. 
and I apply that to a country that, that looks and it cannot see, refuses to see how precious life is in the womb, in the place that it should be the safest and most secure, and we could care less, that's a country that has discarded its character and a, a country that is worthless. Now, I've had to stop listening to so much political radio. And I've got, I had to stop watching so much news because I, I get so built up I get, I mean, I get so fired up when I listen to these guys and, and this is wrong and that is wrong and this is wrong. And I'm like, yeah, you know, ready to, to, to run out, beat my chest. Yeah, let's take this. To... But, but they always offer all the negative and negative and negative and negative. This is bad and this is wrong. This is bad and this is wrong. And, and very rarely do we hear that there is any hope. I quit watching the news because I, I get so frustrated and so down because it's negative and negative and negative. And, 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 and church, listen, where we are, let's be honest. What, what has got us to this place in our country is that we've not been being honest with ourselves. This is no longer a Christian nation. Wake up. Wake up. Yes, we are founded upon Christian principles, but we are no longer a Christian nation. And the sooner we can accept this reality, the sooner we can do something about it. No, our country is not where we want it to be. Not at all. But dear friend, there is hope. Don't you give up hope. Don't throw your hands up and just say all the negative things. We got it. It's a pretty bad place. There's all kinds of negative things. Up is down and left is right and forward is backward here. I get it. This is the reality. Now let's, let's, let's face our reality and now let's do something about it. Can I tell you, this is not the first time that our country has been in bad shape. Our country has been in bad shape many times before. This is not the first time. And what happens that we find in Scripture is I, I've been preaching God's word now for almost 19 years of my life, almost two decades. And I started preaching two decades ago, sharing God's word and talking about God's blessings and, and thus says the Lord and, and looking at the promises of God. And I believe now more than I have ever believed that when God says something in his word, we can take it to the bank. When God makes a promise when God tells us, this is what I'm going, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. And throughout our history as a nation, no matter what was happening in the culture and outside in the world, things have gotten bad before. And God's people have turned to a promise of the Lord that says that if you will cry out to me, if you will turn from your wicked ways, if you will cry out, I will hear from heaven and I will pour revival upon that people. You see, that's what the church has responded before. The church rose up and the church began to pray. The church began to take God at his word and at his promise. And God came through in powerful ways. How many was alive during the 60s? God bless you. It was a pretty bad time, wasn't it? I mean, the 60s... I mean, some of you probably had a lot of fun, but, but the 60s were, were bad. 
and the church realized what was happening in the culture in the 60s and they got together in unity and they began to pray for revival and the Jesus movement began to sweep across our nation in the 70s. Our modern music, our contemporary music finds its roots in the Jesus movement revival of the 70s. Many churches were planted. Many churches were planted out of this movement. The Second Great Awakening, same thing. Our, our, our culture and our country was in dire need and the church rose up. But what I'm praying, what I'm asking is that we stop being apathetic, that we stop pretending as if all of this stuff is not happening. There is hope. Begin to cry out and begin to claim the promises of God. And God will always, God will always come through with his word. Revival. A quickening in our spirit. It's what our country needs. I think that When we look and see what's happening, we must realize and call it sin. We must stand in opposition to what is happening. But most importantly, we cannot lose hope. Don't give up. I see so many Christians throwing their hands up and saying, oh, it's just, this, this, this just the kids. Or it's just the way things are. You know, being apathetic is what has got us into the situation that we're in. Don't give up. I'm tired of seeing Christians giving up and quitting. Stop giving up on your marriage. Don't give up on it. Don't give up on your kids. Some of you have kids and they've departed from the faith. They're living their own lifestyle and they've gone away and you just, you've thrown your hands up. Don't you give up on them. If anybody can be praying and bring them back, it's you, mom, dad. Your prayers are powerful things. Your prayers are powerful things. Don't you give up on your country. Don't you give up on your church. If there was ever a time that we needed Christians just to stand up and to make a commitment to marriage and to family and to faith and to church and to our country, it's now. And for these Christians to say, I will stand and I will fight and I will pray and I will serve and I will give and I will do whatever is necessary. And then when I have spent myself out, I will pick myself up and I will continue to go forward, giving more, sweating more. Serving more. Why? Because that's what it's going to take. If you want your country back, go get it. If you want your church to grow, then get after it. If you want your family united, your marriage, then fight. You know it takes two to tango. Stop living apathetically, stop living in defense. You know the thing I love about baseball? The thing I love about baseball? It's one of the only sports that gives equal offense and defense to both teams. 
you know, football, the defense can get an interception and score a touchdown. In basketball, the defense can block a shot and then go on offense, but baseball is unique. Baseball, you, everybody has the same number of chances. And you don't just play defense all the time. You get to play offense. We as the church have been playing defense for so long that I think that we have forgotten how to play offense. We, we, we've, we've been on defensive mode and, and, and defensive drills that we have forgotten our weapons, the, the, the swords of the spirit, our prayers, our powerful things. I'm not trying to overexemplify things here and oversimplify things, but, but, but church, the mess that we see ourselves in today, Paul clearly identified this 2,000 years ago in Romans chapter 3. Our problem is not an elephant or a donkey. Our problem is sin. And as soon as we realize that we have spiritual problems, now we can address them and see them corrected because now we know our enemy. We know that if our problem is spiritual, then our answer must be spiritual. If our problem is sin, then we must confront this sin with a spiritual answer and spiritual warfare. Our solution must be spiritual. So we understand that our sin discards our character, but second of all, it disrupts our conversation. Verses 13 and 14 talks about the tongue. He's over and over and over about our conversation and about our tongue and how sin has disrupted our conversation. You know, man is unique in the sense that, that we are the only things created. Of the three life forms of, of, of the, the plants and the animals and us, we are the only life form that God created that has the ability to have deep conversation. Yes, animals can speak to one another. Wells, they, they, they make those noises and they communicate to one another. We understand that dogs can bark and they, they understand that there's communication going on, but only humans have the ability for deep conversation. We can write poetry and music and express our love for God. But with the tongue that we use to worship God and, and speak to God, with that same tongue, we also curse God. The same mouth that praises God is the same mouth that curses God. Verse 12 says that our mouth, look at it, verse 12, says our throat is an open grave. What does that mean? Do you remember when Jesus went and he was walking into Bethany and he had heard that Lazarus was sick and was about to die? He came in and he was greeted by Mary and Martha. They came and they fell at his feet and said, our brother Lazarus, your friend has died. Jesus goes to the tomb and he had been dead for several days, right? What does Jesus say? Remove the stone. Remove the tomb. And the people all responded, no! No! Don't do that. <laughs> Why didn't they want the stone removed? You see, Lazarus' body had been in the tomb for several days now. When a body is becoming decomposed, it stinks. The King James says, don't take out the stone, Jesus, because he stinketh. I like that. I want to bring that back. He stinketh. Hashtag that. Stinketh. I like that. He stinketh. Death has, a, has an odor. He says our, our mouths are open tombs. You see that in verse 12? Our, our, our throats are open tombs. He's not saying that you got bad breath here. <laughs> He's not saying that your breath stinks. He says our words stink. He's saying the things that we say, we, we use this mouth to praise God, but we use this mouth also to curse God. We have a foul tongue. And we know that the root of the tongue 
is in the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, those things that proceed from the tongue originate in the heart. You see, the heart is deceitful. The heart is sinful. We are the only things created with the heart, not, not the organ heart that pumps blood, the, the spirit. That, that, that's where sin resides. And you see, that's, that's where the curse has hit us. And so when Paul tells us in the book of Romans that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, he's saying there are walking zombies out there, people who who are alive physically, but spiritually they are dead because their spirit is dead and they need to be quickened and alive in Christ. But we have to guard our heart because what gets in the heart, what gets lodged in the heart comes out of the mouth. This is why I I tell students, I, I, I say this, I hope that you hear this, and I say this for all of us, but especially you. What you watch on TV and the music that you listen to is very, very important. I'm not trying to be an old fuddy-duddy here. I, 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 I really, this, this is biblical. What you put in is what's going to come out. I love apple pie. Love it. The best apple pie that I have ever found in Orlando is at the Fresh Market. Love the fresh market. There's a fresh market over in Winter Springs, and I go and I, we we buy this apple pie when when I'm not on a diet and I, I've been good and I've been on the treadmill five six days a week. I'll stop over at the fresh market, pick me up an apple pie, take it home and cut it up and put it in the microwave, put a little scoop of vanilla ice cream on it, let it melt. Are you hungry yet? It's good stuff. I'm telling you, that is good. That, that will take you. To, there's going to be apple pie and ice cream in heaven. I, I promise you. But if I go to the fresh market and I say, I want an apple pie, and they say, okay, here's your apple pie. It says apple pie. It looks like an apple pie. But, but today we decided to use different ingredients. Instead of using apples today, we chose to use cherries. Is that going to taste the same? No, nothing against cherry pie, but cherry pie is not apple pie. It's not as good. But you see, what you put in through those ingredients is what you're going to get out. You can't put cherries into a pie and get apple pie coming out. What you put into your eyes and into your ears is what's going to come out of your heart and from your mouth. What you put in is what's going to come out. He says the sin has flawed our character, it's flawed our communication. Finally, it distorts our conduct. This is verses 15 through 20. Anger, hatred, jealousy, all of a result of sin. Following Adam and Eve's sin, they had children, and Cain and Abel, you know the story, Cain and Abel were to offer a sacrifice to God and worship God. God accepted Abel's sacrifice because it was the first, it was the tenth, it was the best. Cain could care less, and he just gave the leftovers to God, and God accepted Abel's sacrifice but refused Cain's. Cain began to burn up in anger and got very frustrated and mad, and he took his anger out on his brother and killed his brother. I can't help but to think that when Adam and Eve heard the news that their son Abel had been murdered by their son Cain, I can't help but to think that they looked at their own self and said, we are the cause of this sin. You see, sin... Sin doesn't just affect you. Your sin affects others. Sin is a cancer that spreads. And you're not the only one affected. When sin happens, it's it's a result of of our own conduct, our own way, our own distortions. But they're not the only ones guilty. We we always put our fingers at Adam and Eve and say, why did y'all mess up? We would have done the same thing. 
you and I would have probably took that fruit a whole lot quicker than they did even. But we'd have done the same thing. See, that's why sins don't make us a sinner. Committing sins is not what makes you a sinner. You are, we sin because we are sinners. A a, a person isn't a liar because he tells lies. He tells lies because he's a liar in his heart. We've all experienced this in our lives. Oswald Chambers once said, he he said, sin is not a weakness, it is not a disease, it is red-handed rebellion against God. And the magnitude of that rebellion is expressed by Calvary. In other words, if you want to see the, 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 the exceeding wickedness and sinfulness of sin, all you need to do is look to the cross of Christ. If sin was no big deal, then why in the world would God send his only son to die on that cross? You see, sin's a huge deal. Sin's such a big deal that it took the life of Jesus. There at Calvary, there at the cross, we see the, the consequences of sin. Look back at chapter 3, verse 12. It says, they have all turned aside. They've t- together become unprofitable. There is none who do good. No, not one. You say, well, pastor, I, I know good people. Well, so do I. I know a lot of good people. But Paul's not talking about human goodness here. You know, when we see somebody who's a philanthropist or they, they, they give a lot of money, they, they, they are helping people who, who are poor or helping people build houses or whatever, we, we see human goodness and we say, well, that person is good. And, and yes, they are good. We're not denying the fact that there are good people in this world. There are good people. But when we are judged, we are not going to be judged by human goodness, a human standard. We're going to be judged by God's standard. That's what he says in verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. Jesus said only one is good, and that is our Father who is in heaven. So what is God's standard of righteousness? Jesus was clear, Matthew 5, 48, he says, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So I can't do that. I can be good, but I can't be perfect. That's the point. You, You can be good and do good things, but you cannot live the perfect life. Isaiah said our righteousness, our good works are like filthy rags. That word rags there is used from the bandages that they would pull off of the sores of lepers. And so they would have all these pulsating sores and, and they would wrap them with bandages so, so the blood and the, 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 the stuff wouldn't just uh, ooze out. They would wrap it up in bandages. And Isaiah says that, that take those bandages off those lepers and, and that's what our human goodness is in the face of God. Our goodness, our righteousness are like filthy rags to God. You see, we're not judged by human goodness. We're judged by his standard of perfection. The bad news is that we cannot do that ourselves. You, you, you're not going to find a five-step way to, to being perfect. You're not going to find perfection for dummies book in, at Barnes & Noble. You're not going to find, how can, I, how can I live the perfect life? It's not there. You can't do it. That's Paul's point. And so we, we, we've come to the cusp. We've come to this place now, Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3. And and, and he says, all of these things, all of these things have been leading to this point, this one thing. Two words. Three words. Nobody is perfect. Nobody is perfect. That's his point. Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3. All can be summarized in those three words. Nobody is perfect. So if we're judged, and we must be perfect in order to go to heaven, but nobody is perfect, how in the world can we go to heaven? Great question. I've got a great answer. It's only through Jesus Christ that you can find salvation. Our hope 
is not in our good works. Yes, do good things. Do good works. Yes, those things are good. But your salvation is not tied upon good works. Paul's point here is that our salvation, we cannot do enough good to earn heaven. If we did, the cross was a colossal mistake. We must receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. 